Okay, it's recording. So, settle yourself. <laughs> so settled. Okay. What are we talking about? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ready? Okay. It is time to jump in our TARDIS and our time machines and venture back to the world of Regency romance once again. In this episode, we'll discuss three different Regency romance books that might help you find your next read. We'll discuss issues of classism, bad writing, scantily clad heroines, Regency-era sex clubs, and some really dumb heroes. Bonus points for sticking through the whole episode, because at the end of this, we have a super fun, exciting announcement for you all that you do not want to miss. Like, seriously, you don't want to miss this. Okay, let's do it. Plug in 1820s, and here we go. Hey there, romance nerds! Welcome to another episode of Raging Romantics. I'm Jen. I'm Jackie. We are librarians at Northern Onondaga Public Library, and we are also romance nerds. Now, if you're wondering what this podcast is about, wait for it. Romance! Specifically, the romance genre of books. We are going to be talking about anything and everything having to do with romance, the genre, the tropes, anything and everything. So with that being said, sometimes our material will be a little too sensitive for younger readers. If you feel the need to wait until they go to bed, we will be here for you. We would also like to issue just a general trigger warning for some of the things that we do talk about. We will always try to issue specific trigger warnings for each episode so that you know what you're getting into. Now, without further ado, are you ready, Jen? Oh, I've been ready, Jackie. All right. Let's rage! Do you want to hear a joke that they would have told in the Regency period? Okay. Okay. A famous teacher of arithmetic who had long been married without being able to get his wife with child. One said to her, Madam, your husband is an excellent arithmetician. Yes, replies she, only he can't multiply. <laughs> so dumb. Math is hard. <laughs> Isn't it kind of nice though that they had really stupid jokes even back then? Or like really raunchy jokes. Yeah. And I mean, it's not even raunchy, but that's like a bad dad joke and I like it. Dirty jokes are universal. Well, on that note. <laughs> well, first, before we begin, I want to say welcome to our new listeners. Ah! We have had so many new downloads and listens because we're now like officially on Apple and Spotify podcast, as well as our website, noble.org slash raging romantics. So thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah, but thanks Apple the- for taking a bite out of us. Whoop whoop. Oh, no, that's the opposite. Whatever. Um <laughs> I think I'm funny. That's enough. Uh, yeah. If you are new here, you've you've really hit the bottom of the barrel sometimes. <laughs> oh, but seriously, we're so thankful for you to listen. If this is your first episode listening to us, definitely go back and check out some of our other episodes. Jen and I are super awesome and funny. We're trying. So we try really obviously hard. you should give us a listen and let us know what you think. And in this one, we're going to be talking again about Regency. Yeah. 
Now, just as a quick recap, if you haven't listened to our last episode on the Regency, please go back and do so. I give way too many details about what the Regency period was. But they're important details. They are. Just as like a quick recap then, um, the Regency period is a period of British history, technically only between 1811 to 1820, but there is a larger Regency like feel between 17... 17- 95, I think is what I said last episode. I forgot already. 1795 all the way up to 1832. And it encompasses things like Jane Austen, the Napoleonic Wars, the First Industrial Revolution, George III being declared mentally insane, and George IV taking the throne. So there's a lot that goes on. Mm-hmm. And Regency romance, Jen and I feel isn't necessarily the most representative of everything that was going on no in this period it's very because much a it, snapshot yeah it's a very, very specific white snapshot white rich <laughs> the upper echelons of society and we really wanted to read some stuff that was a little different from your classic regency romance but first we're going to talk about georgette Hare, who is classic regency romance <laughs> she's the one who started it all she built the foundation oh. that we're standing on and a little recap of her, she published her first novel in 1921 and is, like, known as the Regency Queen, when really that title should be going to Jane Austen. Dare. So. Or Tessa Dare. <laughs> yeah, <fair enough. laughs> she, she's a very specific taste, but I do see yeah. the appeal, and we're going to get into it with one of her novels, Sylvester. Mm. Ooh, it already sounds good. <laughs> Anytime I hear that, I just think of, like, Sylvester Stallone. Oh, like, I think of a cat. It just sounds like a really fussy cat name to me. Oh, yeah, that too, that mm-hmm. too. But, yeah, so Jen, do you want to take it away and yeah, tell so, us all about Sylvester? Yeah, so this was published in 1957. It was also known as The Wicked Uncle. Mm. Ooh. Side note, I'm really glad, spoiler alert, that he is not her uncle. <laughs> like yeah, because the he- there are heroine's uncle. She, yeah, she had a lot of books where cousins got married or where oh. the wards got married. So I found the best book to read that didn't sound like it was going Incest. to be incesty and then it was not <laughs> going to be uh really anti-jewish because she yeah was full of that very too. anti-semitic was like, <laughs> she wasn't so the relatively, best this wasn't too bad mm, anyway no. sylvester he's the duke of salford he's decided it's time to take a wife but he doesn't like any of his candidates he finds fault in all of them because he is a very arrogant uh dutiful kind of guy He's an asshole. Yeah, that's a nice way. That's probably the nicest way we could describe him. <laughs> Sorry, his, language. His mother ends up proposing his cousin by marriage, my marriage's daughter. Say that three times. Yeah. Her not, a, not a true blood cousin. Enough that it's respectable. I'm not going to be too freaked out. Phoebe, she's a little older. She's kind of a country bumpkin. And then his godmother, who is also her grandmother, is like, yeah, she would love Phoebe. And he's like, fine, I'll go check her out. But he doesn't really want to. <laughs> However, Phoebe wants absolutely nothing to do with him. She's actually <laughs> about to sell her first book, and she wants to w- run away with her friend, the governess, unfortunately platonic, to live independently <laughs> and support herself with her writing. She also panics because Sylvester is the person she based the villain of her book on. So she's got lots of good reasons to run away, and so she does! She runs off with her best platonic guy friend, Tom, to go to London to escape Sylvester and this impending marriage that neither of them want, by the way. Yeah, which yeah is seriously. Which is funny to me. However, there ends up being a freak blizzard. The carriage breaks down. Tom gets his leg broken. And then in a surprising twist, Sylvester comes along, finds them, and ends up being a really good guy. He helps them when they're eh. stranded. 
relatively. Listen, (laughs) if we're going with the basic symbol of humanity, he's like... The bar is low on the floor. He's He's stepping over the bar, basically. Barely. But funny twist, he finds out Phoebe wasn't eloping with Tom, like her family believed, and why it was kind of helping his own ego. She was actually running away from him, so he gets yeah. <laughs> But he ends up helping her to London anyway, because she had been on the way to live with her grandmother. And everything's okay. He's mad, though. She's mad. And that helps when the drama starts to happen. The grandmother decides that she is going to continue matchmaking with Phoebe and Simon. Both of them suck at it. Her book ends up going viral. <laughs> And then Simon's sister-in-law, who hates his guts, realizes she's kind of terrible too. She sucks anyway. I mean, it's not a bad thing that she doesn't like him, but she realizes that she's the author of this book who wrote about the Duke and exposes her basically to the entire ton. So she, Phoebe, gets socially ruined pretty quickly. Unfortunately, I think she's in London for like a week before she ruins it. So there's nothing else to do. The grandmother decides she's just going to take Phoebe away to Paris. She doesn't know what else to do with her. She makes Tom escort them because she's very proper and can't go anywhere without a man. Uh, They end up finding that the Duke's guardian ward, the sister-in-law's son, is being kidnapped by the mother and her husband. It's very, just trying to explain it to you guys out loud is a little awkward because it's it's her son, but because of the laws of England, it's technically the Duke's guardian. I have a question. Please. Before we continue. So the mother of Edmund, Mm -hmm. who is kidnapping Edmund from Sylvester, is that the same woman who exposed Phoebe? Yes. Yeah. He only has the one sister-in-law. Okay. I was just making sure. Yeah. So... They're running away to Paris because it was inspired by the plot of her book. So Phoebe (laughs) feels very responsible. She goes onto the ship to try to rescue him and ends up getting taken with them with Tom to Paris. Uh, Just a very convoluted kidnapping. (laughs) Sylvester ends up tracking them all to Paris. He takes Phoebe, Tom, and Edmund back to England. He realizes he loves Phoebe because she's just the most annoying woman in the entire universe. So obviously she's perfect for him and proposes... (laughs) She is like, you are not perfect for me. I don't believe you. What are you doing? They fight a lot. Uh, the mother ends up saving the day. The Duke goes, cries into his mother's lap. She doesn't believe me, 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 me. Mama's and boy. she's able to sort everything out so that she can convince Phoebe that he means it. They marry, or they agree to marry, and then the book ends on their first kiss. Dun, dun, dun. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, I it's wanna, a lot. So I, I want to say, I read the bio about Hayer first, and I was expecting to really hate this book because she does not seem like a super pleasant lady. And it wasn't as terrible as I thought, just because the plot was very engaging. The writing style definitely leaves a lot to be desired, and it's definitely something that has changed over the last hundred years, mm. just in Regency in general. Not even hundred, it's only been 70, oh, not that's even true. 70 yeah, years. I think I'm counting from her first one. Yeah, fair enough, which was 1921. 1921. So literally 100 years. Yeah, she does a lot of info dumping. She does, like, huge paragraphs and pages of description. She spends pages Pages. just describing Sylvester's eyebrows. And his (laughs) magnificent masculinity. She is clearly one of those authors that wants to, like, sleep with her character. Oh, my God. She really, really loves Sylvester more than she should. It's a lot of being told 
the plot rather than finding mm-hmm. out about the plot. She does a lot mm-hmm. of telling, not showing. So yes. clearly writing standards have changed at the very least. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Did you enjoy reading it, Jackie? Can I confess something? Please do. I would love to hear it. I didn't make it past page 100. Ah! And, okay, so (laughs) this is a 450-page book. Mm -hmm. He doesn't meet Phoebe until, like, about page 100. Yeah, it takes a while. There's a lot of background that the entire like just cut through. First 80 pages are Sylvester went and stood by the window and looked Mm -hmm. out broodingly over the land that he owned his eyebrows quirked into his hairline large black slashes of masculine hair <laughs> essentially and i'm like i i am masculine superiority is used in there too by the way <laughs> i long ago promised myself like after i finished grad school i would never make myself read something i really hated ever mm-hmm. again 50 shades of gray was a an adventure because I'd already <laughs> read it, so I already knew that I hated it. So I'm like, okay, well, this is this is the gray area. But this book, I just, I really hated Sylvester mm-hmm. so much. I hated the writing style for someone who has attention issues, like trying to focus on 80 pages of descriptions mm-hmm. about eyebrows and how good he looks in breeches. I'm like, I can't. I need you guys to kiss already. There's definitely so. been a huge shift towards more dialogue, towards, mm. I think, the characterization is a little better. Uh, she was really cool because Phoebe is kind of a delight. She is very accident-prone. She's very kind of sassy <laughs> and witty and does things by the march of her own beat, which I don't think was popular back then. Um, I mean, yeah. they are really, they are really kind of put a stamp on a lot of future things in the Regency. If this plot yeah. had been written by Tessa Dare, I think you would have liked it that's the thing like even you just explaining the plot to me just now i'm like you know this sounds like it would be really fun yeah. if somebody like tessa dare sarah mclean wrote it, it over mm-hmm. but i think like you said because it was so much telling and not showing and there mm-hmm. like the dialogue just wasn't gripping and because yeah. sylvester sucked so hard mm-hmm. i'm like i just i can't also there's no sex so there's not it, i don't even kiss. have that to look forward to <laughs> and think- the book ends I think there's still so many people that love this book and this author. And I think for some people, the writing style will work for us. We are clearly unpretentious. uh, (laughs) We like weirdos. Yeah. Proud smut readers. (laughs) (laughs) We definitely do not have any substance to us. So we were like, we're good. Like I appreciate (laughs) some of what Hare did. Can I tell you the other thing I feel like maybe you didn't like about her? So she was very much born into this upper middle class world and she had Mm. very, very firm ideas on class and breeding and Mm. you are very much born who you're going to be and that indicates so much about your life. So this book has a lot more comments of, oh, you got to excuse him because of his ill breeding because he wasn't born high enough. I feel like that kind of sentiment is missing from modern Regency unless it's from the villain. Yeah. So I wonder if that's another reason you hated it, because that bothered me. It just felt very gross. Yeah, just most likely. And I think... It's so uncivilized. Yeah. It was used a lot, too. And you saying that, that is an issue I have mm-hmm. with a lot of, like, quote-unquote classic Regency romances, if we consider, like, the 90s and early 2000s yeah. to be, like, classic Regency, besides Jane Austen. That's, like, true classic. Right. I'm talking about modern classic Regency. Is that, like we said at the start of the episode, it is predominantly white, upper-class rich. And I, like, yeah, it's fun to read about balls and dukes and diamonds. And to see Bridgerton 
I know it's Bridgerton singular, not Bridgerton's plural. I just listen. <laughs> listen, Linda. I can all say of them. it. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's a huge family. <laughs> it's fun to see like all the glitz and the glamour that was still around in the Regency. Yeah. But I still want to see things like the lower classes. We have this whole industrial revolution that's starting and we have a rising middle class because now they can make money during the mm-hmm. industrial revolution. And we have the Napoleonic Wars changing both socioeconomic and racial class divide. Mm-hmm. And I'm just... I really want to see that reflected more. So I can see if we're talking about Hare and Austin being the start of the Regency trend, I can Mm -hmm. definitely see why Regency romances are portrayed as so white and so rich. I can see it easily. Mm -hmm. But I really hope that in the future, as we get more authors of color, more voices, more people coming in and writing these historical romances, that we'll start seeing a broader spectrum. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think that that desire to see that, though, is that new to us in 2021? Do you think it just Mm. wasn't? I wonder if maybe that desire has always been there or if it's something about the current our current society that is that we're more open to types of stories and that we want to push the boundaries of what already exists. Well, I think it to some degree has been there the entire time, but I think really until recently with issues of Me Too and then social just social justice movements, especially summer twenty twenty, like <laughs> own voices, all that. Mm-hmm. I really think that after that, we're starting to really speak up more and to say that we want more diverse romances, and especially diverse historical. We want a better viewpoint yeah. of these things. And to people who say that that did not happen, you need to read a history book. Yeah, you Hollywood is very much whitewashed. What? Yes, Eng- I mean England was the center of the world. It makes a lot of sense that it wasn't just white people. It was people from yeah. all over the place. They had colonies yeah. everywhere. Like it's just impossible. Or even this common view that the Regency was repressed sexually. No, <laughs> that's the Victorians. That's a hundred years later, mm-hmm. eighty years later. But there we go on Hair. Hair, I don't know if I can exactly recommend her, but if you want to check her out yourself, we've got a ton of hair in the library on Overdrive. Let us know. But I know I am itching to go somewhere a little more forbidden, Jackie. (gasps) A little sexier. A little bit. I shouldn't have used that voice. I'm sorry. That made me uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll never talk like that again. I promise. (laughs) Yes, let us go. Speaking of non-sexually repressed regency people yeah, quite the twist let's let us go the opposite way of hair and talk about simply forbidden Ooh. by kate pierce dun, dun, dun. so just a little uh content warning not so much trigger warning this is an erotic romance we're about to talk about um so there there's gonna be some sexy talk mm-hmm um so fast forward by like 10 15 minutes if you don't want to hear that but if you do it's gonna be funny because i'm funny so okay i try to be funny jen laugh (laughs) (laughs) i am laughing (laughs) (laughs) okay but anyways please tell me about something forbidden jackie i want to hear it i want to hear all about it because i didn't like it So, yes, Simply Forbidden by Kate Pierce is book six in Kate Pierce's Forbidden series. So we're kind of jumping right into the middle of things. Sorry, I'll try to catch you up as quickly and as easily as possible. What you need to know is that the Regency period is not as tame as Jane Austen and Georgia Heyer made it out to be. 
uh, sex clubs totally existed. Everybody was experimenting with their sexuality. There was a club out there for almost every type of sex you wanted. Not just brothels. I'm talking sex clubs. But was this so. only for married upper class people? I can't imagine they still let, like, the, like, Daphne wouldn't get to go to one of these. Mm, no, okay. not really. So it to an extent. If you were so this was mostly for like the upper classes still. So we're still talking, I'm sorry about like the peerage and above, the gentry and above because this would have been something you had to pay a membership fee for and the membership fees typically weren't cheap. But I think there were some like middle class sex clubs that were out there as well. I will of course link notes in the show notes for you to read some articles and like view some archives and some archival artifacts if you want to check it out it's kind of interesting to see what existed (laughs) um I was shocked let me just put it that way I was shooketh okay but let's get back to Simply Forbidden so what you need to know is that Madame Madame Helene Delornay Helen Delornay runs a pleasure house in London which caters more to the BDSM lifestyle it is not a brothel there are not paid sex workers. Instead, members pay a fee and can explore their sexuality on a variety of different floors, ranging from everything of like orgies to married couples needing sexual therapy, <laughs> it happens, all the way up to hardcore sadomasochism. Private rooms are there where you can engage in sexual play, and there are workers who are there to quote unquote aid you in your search for pleasure, but they are not prostitutes. Let me just it is not a brothel. They are actors and servers and doms and dominatrixes. Dominatrices? I'm not sure what the plural of dominatrix is. I'm sorry. But this is an erotic romance, so the plot is mostly driven by sexual encounters. There's a lot of sex. If you don't like a lot of sex in your romance, this probably isn't for you, but it's really fun to read anyways. (laughs) Our heroine is Lisette Delornay Ross, Helen's illegitimate daughter, and she has a twin brother, Christian. Prior to the start of this book, they had been living at an orphanage and a nunnery in France. However, with the outbreak of the Napoleonic Wars um, previously, they had come back to England to reunite with their mom, Helen, and their father, who is actually a lord. And they wanted to be accepted as children and like welcomed into society. Lisette, when she came back prior to the start of the book again, had an affair, went a little wild, and has basically been socially ruined. However, now her younger half-sister is getting ready to make her come out to society, so like Daphne Bridgerton. Um, So Lisette decides she's going to tame herself down. She's going to, like, you know, calm it down a bit, calm her tits, and help her sister's chances. Calm her what? Calm her tits. (laughs) You've never heard that? Calm your tits. Oh, it's cute. I just, I love that you said that after being worried about other things you were going to say in this one. Listen, I love that word. It's a fun word. Anyways, okay. <laughs> so our hero is Gabriel Swan, who is a war veteran and was a prisoner prisoner of war who was pretty much bitter about just about everything. And he had been accused of treason and is not welcomed in the peerage, even though he is a lord. Um, he didn't want to be a lord, but his older brother died, so he had to take up the title. Um, he was accused of selling secrets to the enemy, but he didn't, so the treason was never like accepted however it's still kind of all his peers look down on him like oh you sold the secrets to the french okay so now we're at the start of the book at the start of the book they're at lisette's father's country house lisette is trying to learn how to ride horses better she got bucked off and she's had bad experiences she she wants to ride because she wants to make her father proud but she's scared of horses kind of 
and Gabriel is there looking to buy a horse from Philip, Lisette's father, because he's known for the horses that he has. They meet at the stables. Gabriel's instantly attractive, tra- attracted and offers to teach Lisette how to ride. Things, of course, turn sexual. <laughs> they have a, uh, a passionate interlude, but they don't have sex. And Gabriel offers to have Lisette as his mistress. What a guy. <laughs> she goes, excuse you, no. And then she kind of like runs off. How it's, charming. It's, I know. It's great. Um, they're back in London now. It's been a couple days. Lisette's still upset with how things ended with Gabriel. So she goes to her mother's pleasure house and she talks to her mom. She's like, I'm not feeling very good. You know, I'm just kind of like, blah. I don't know what to do. And so she goes to the pleasure house to like get her mind off of things. And while she's there, who does she see? Oh! <gasps> Gabriel. Ah! He is dressed as a servant, wearing only breeches and a mask because, psych, he likes to be dominated. And Lisette, who is still sexually attracted to him, has a friend, pleasure house worker, a friend who works at the pleasure house, bring Gabriel to a private room where Lisette is waiting, masked, and they pleasure each other. It's it's steamy. Can we be? They still don't have sex. Okay, but like she still knows who he is, and he doesn't yes. know who she is. Can yes, we just establish he has that? no idea. Yeah, like, yeah. So not so, greatest consensual experience yeah. ever. But you know, it's not no. kind of book, so fine. Yeah. So they end this first encounter at the pleasure house. Gabriel, like Jen said, has no idea that it's Lizette. Lizette knows it's him, and Lizette is still really salty about how Gabriel treated her at his at her dad's house. So she comes up with a plan to get back at him to have revenge on how he treated her and how he made her feel. So she has him again dress up as a servant and meet her in a private room at the pleasure house a couple days later, like the next night or something, and she pleasures him with her friend's help. But right as he's about to uh, reach the peak, shall we say, <laughs> she rips her mask off, revealing it was her, and runs out of the room. And Gabriel's left just, like, on the floor going, holy petunias, what the heck was that? So he's obviously upset. He wants to – he – they get mean. They get really mean to yeah, each I other, I will say. I will say she kind of justified – yeah he is because again if i was somewhere anonymous and then i realized oh hey this guy i was with was like my high school math partner and knew who i was the whole time i would be really really furious and probably traumatized i would not be thrilled not that kind of book so fine but still still it's questionable it is questionable so gabriel seeks lizette out and like they they hash it out they kind of have a fight but then in the end they decide you know we still like each other. Let's still like have physical intimacy, but Gabriel will not have sex because he didn't want to be an heir. He does not want to have children, all this sort of stuff. He will not have penetrative sex with her. Okay, cool. They end up spending the night at the pleasure house. Um, and in the middle of the night, they're woken up by fireworks and Gabriel has a traumatic flashback to the war. And we'll talk about PTSD in a minute because it's really interesting. It was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of this traumatic flashback, Lisette goes to comfort him. They end up having penetrative sex as a result of her comforting him, you know, like the hurt comfort situation, I think. And he ends up finishing inside of her. He, of course, freaks out like Simon in Bridgerton and says, you know, I'm going to marry you. You might be pregnant. No child of mine will be a bastard. And she's like, excuse you, I'm an illegitimate child. <laughs> what the heck? I would have married you. If you had said, let's get married, but I don't want you to feel obligated to marry me, which, fair. Yeah, all right, fine. 
and she uh, she storms off. You know, there's a lot more stuff that happens. It At this point, it all gets really blurry in my brain what actually happens because there's a lot more fighting. Yeah, there's a kidnapping. You don't need to know, though. Yeah, there's a kidnapping. Um, they get married. Turns out she's not pregnant. They have more sex. She ends up catering to more of what he needs sexually, which involves a threesome with a male friend and pegging. So it gets pretty spicy. Not like super spicy, but like a good amount of spice. And that's and it ends happily. And Gabriel's welcomed back into society thanks to friends in high places. <laughs> the end. So yeah. It 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 starts off really strong, and I will admit that I love this book when it first came out in like 2012 or something. Um, however, thinking about it now, I'm like, eh, it's yeah. it's okay, but I've read better. Like, I don't want to be too mean to you because I absolutely get loving books as a teenager that probably now I would be really like, eh, about. But <laughs> yeah. I just, they were so mean to each other, and she kept playing these games with him. And at one point, she even is like, "Oh, I'm playing the game of love," and I'm like, "No, you're not. You're playing the game of." manipulation and cruelty and they just did not really seem to be a good pairing to me no i didn't like it just for that i was really uncomfortable with the non-consent stuff until i was like oh okay this is just that kind of novel where it's fine to blur those lines there's some books you can get away with and this one fine whatever i'm not going to be too upset about it i just thought they were just really stupid and mean to me yeah and i couldn't get into it Fair enough. I think I like this book now for more what it represents for Regency romance. Yeah, I will say it's definitely one of, it's very different from anything I've read. I am not writing anything based in this pleasure house or with the guy being a little less um, take charge, we'll say. Yeah, because Lisette does end up being more dominant in their relationship. So that was nice to read. Mm -hmm. I mean, the sex club stuff was really nice to read because, again, you don't see that in Tessa Dare or especially not Georgette Hare. Not yet. No. I've read this. There's this really good quote. I want to read it for you guys about sex clubs. It says, a flood of wealth from the budding empire allowed the leisured classes, leisured classes, to fulfill their carnal fantasies without restraint. Perhaps the most striking feature of the age was the explosion of British sex clubs, where a colorful array of rakes, libertines, courtesans, and aristocratic adventuresses dressed up in outrageous outfits for kinky ceremonies. Honestly, it sounds so fun. Yeah. I mean, if really you, probably life was already pretty fun if you were rich and upper class. Yeah, and that's true. Just the icing. Yeah. And I also really like this book because it's very sex positive, especially for Lizette. Yeah. Because in her a lot of these awesome. recent yeah, her parents were so accepting. I mean, Helene, Helen, however you want to say it, owns a, a pleasure house. So, okay. But even her dad is like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you she has- do, do she you. She's an open conversation with her dad about having sex with, um, what's his face? I already forgot Gabriel. his name because I didn't like him. Oh, the other guy. <laughs> no, Gabriel. Yeah, because she, oh, okay. she had a, a long conversation about, you know, why does he want to marry you? What did you do? Right, and right, right. Totally um, unreacting, very accepting, and very much like, you know yourself. Uh, I'm going to support you with whatever you want to do. Yeah, and they encourage safe sex and, like, a safe space to experiment in. There are safe words. You know, there are measures in place. And it was just so refreshing to read something like this. And some of the later books do get pretty dark, like, with sadomasochism and everything and the situations that go on. But it's still the fact that Lizette was this young woman who her father was a peer, and she was still, like, it's like, yeah, that's if that's what you want to do, let's do that. I can't say that that was necessarily the actual thing that would have happened. Not. But <laughs> it was nice. The real myth. 
Yeah, it was nice to read a heroine who wasn't virginal and shy and 18. That was nice. And the last thing I did want to talk really quickly about, because I found it really interesting, was the PTSD episode that Gabriel experiences. Because did you know that PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is a modern diagnosis? I kind of knew a little bit, but yeah, it, it's different, right? Yeah. So it's mostly used as a diagnosis post-World War One, and especially like from Vietnam onwards. Um, but... I mean, warfare is traumatic in any sense of the word for everybody involved. And so you definitely would have had a traumatic symptom. It's mostly used as a modern diagnosis PTSD because of the way that you experience flashbacks and like your response to that, from what Mm -hmm. I believe. Whereas in the past, in like Napoleonic Wars, they would have used terms like battle fatigue, shell shock, vent de boulet, which means basically like cannon wind, wind contusions. It's the sound of the cannon like whistling past you sorry i said that it sounded cute and i was like oh, i know it's <laughs> like, probably not great of me to have said no. it's like it's a nice it's a nice way to say pdsd i guess i mean it's it's french it's gonna sound nice you know? fair enough thank you just ignore me that was a bad comment it's okay they also use the term nostalgia That's which crazy. So yeah, nostalgia was used as a term starting in the early 1800s to describe the depression that soldiers felt when they were away from home. And it was like a depressive state. It wasn't the kind of like cozy nostalgia we think of today of like, oh, I miss home and my dog and my grandma's chocolate cake. You know, it's right. it was it wasn't a good thing. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting to me. And just this idea that the change in warfare is what caused the change in how PTSD yeah. was conceptualized. I thought that was really interesting. So I'm going to put um, some good articles in the show notes for you guys if you're interested in that. That's definitely not something that would have occurred to me. I think I would have just assumed, oh, it's just a change of phrase as time goes on and as psychologists mm. get more invested. I didn't mm-hmm. think at all about how just how drastic, like drast- dramatically warfare has changed between the two mm-hmm. periods. And I mean, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. So that's really cool <clears throat> to know. I'm sad it happened, but cool to know. It, it's it's an interesting thing and as you guys bleh, as you guys probably have realized by now i really like like the psychological aspects behind a lot of the stuff in regency or in romance in general so i'm always interested in learning more and if you guys know more email us and let me know please i would like you to email me please so some bittersweet <laughs> receptions mm. to this book yes. do we want to get into something else that's a little bittersweet jackie <gasps> are we talking about chocolate jen uh, well, no, because I don't really like eating bittersweet chocolate, but you know what I liked okay. reading? The what did you like? Bride by Vanessa Ooh. Riley. I love the cover on this first this things pretty, first. Yeah. It was a good cover. Mm-hmm. But yes, so Bittersweet Bride by Vanessa Riley is super exciting because it's an inclusive romance, uh, which is something you don't really see. <laughs> it's getting a little better. I think it's definitely grown yeah. the last couple of years. I yeah. think Courtney Milan just came out with a good one. Yeah. I mean, she's been a pioneer forever. Yeah. I mean, there's been people. I just think they haven't really gotten the attention they deserved either until the last couple yeah. of years. They weren't like traditional pub right. publications. They were like indie publications mm-hmm. or online. So, yeah, but this is book one in the Advertisements for Love series, which Woo-hoo. is basically like Regency online dating. So I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> but Theodosia Cecil is our heroine. She is half Asian, half black. She is the daughter of a prostitute and of an Asian sailor. And she is a widow who's trying to protect her inheritance and her son. 
Her husband died a year ago, and she is just coming out of her mourning period, which lasted for a year. And to protect her son from his evil guardian, Lester, who is truly a villain. We hate him. Mm-hmm. We don't like him. Um, and by the way, Lester was appointed by her dead husband in his will. Due to the laws of inheritance, Theodosia, like, didn't have power of attorney over her son. And it sucks. But, like, that was laws of inheritance at the time. Um, so she's trying to protect her son from his guardian. She's trying to protect his inheritance. She's trying to protect her flower farm. And she also doesn't want the guardian to know that her son is slowly going deaf, sadly. So Theo places advertisements in the newspaper looking for a husband. She hears back from two men, really, one of whom she doesn't like. He's a squire. He's like totally boring. They go on a date and she's like, yeah, no, I don't like this. (laughs) Um, and she also hears back from a mysterious man, who she does not know, but she likes the way he writes. And as she's leaving the shop at the beginning of the book, she runs smack dab into a ghost from the past. Jen, who is this ghost? Ugh. We hate him. <laughs> a jerk. That's who it is. He's, He's such a butthead. I don't even want to say oh. his name right. You Before didn't. we begin, I, we should say that there is a trigger warning for this book in general. There's a lot of racial slurs <laughs> and racism. And um, I think that's the, those are the two big ones. Racial slurs and racism, for sure. Yeah, I guess just general cruelty. I mean, I, she is attacked at the end, but not um, in a sexual manner. Just, you know, yeah, whatever. That's true. Okay, but who's you in? A little bit of violence against women. He yeah. is her ex-fiance, second son of an earl who was reported as dead six years ago. <gasps> and Theo had been a couple before he was forced to go to war by his family. They had enjoyed one brief night of passion... But his father found out very quickly, uh, hated the relationship, and was the one who was ultimately like, all right, you want to be approved? Uh, go to war. He also quashed, quashed? Yeah. He also ruined yeah. any effort Ed- Ewan, Edwin, whatever, made to become a playwright. Ewan. <laughs> so basically, he kind of gave him this ultimatum, go to war, I'll give you the playwright, I'll give you Theo, it'll be all good. Uh, unfortunately, there was this really big paper mix-up, and Ewan was reported as dead. But he wasn't. He was not dead. He was just reported as dead. Really soon after that, Theo found out she was pregnant. So spoiler she- alert. I mean, the whole thing is going to be a spoiler alert. We're I know. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> and, of course, Ewan's parents, being the delightful people they are, they quickly Ugh. threw her on the street, ruined any chance of employment by her. His mother told her just to go become a prostitute because she Ugh. was a trash, yada, yada. She ended up starving because she couldn't afford food. So she was in really desperate straits. She ended up throwing herself on the mercies of Ewan's mother's cousin, again, the cousins, Matthew oh Stensel. <laughs> and he took her in, ended up marrying her when he realized she was pregnant and decided to raise the child as his own. And Matthew was so good. He was a real hero. Okay. I love he never actually got a single line in the story, and I love him more than I like Ewan. Oh, he's so much better. I wish Ewan had been the one to really die at war. Uh, or I really wish that Matthew like had lived and it started with Ewan coming back, but he's the true villain, not oh, Lester. Yeah. And Matthew and Theo have to defend the son and the estate against Ewan and Ewan's terrible family. That would have been excellent. None of that happened. Instead, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> instead, we got Ewan returning. He's been in the West Indies, Caribbean, roughly for the last six years because he was immediately told by his father, by the way, that, oh, hey, Theo left you. So she was trapped. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he has just been burning this resentment towards her for six years. He couldn't even write a letter. Couldn't even write a letter, though. I mean, it's been he- six years. 
and he knew that she thought he was dead. So it wasn't even mm-hmm. like the, the father did like this mass communication thing between them. He knew she thought he was dead. I don't know what he expected, but he's pissed when he discovers that not only is she a widow, she's also looking for another marriage. So he has since written a play about her in which he slanders her and makes her the villain. Which, hey, shout out to Hayer. Cool. Hey, and he threatens to black her, mail her with it. Because there's this whole subplot where she is running this flower farm on her estate. Which is neighboring his family's estate. And there's some issues with the water rights. So if she doesn't give water control to them, he's going to release this as blackmail. Mm-hmm. And it's just, he's such a jerk. Because he he's... really felt like she moved on way too fast. And that is his big yeah. issue. Like, he was well aware that she knew he was dead. But... He was very much, oh, you didn't even wait a month for me. You just ran and threw yourself at Matthew. My family was right. It's just kind of an example of somebody who is painfully stupid and doesn't realize the realities of what being a um, a black woman. White privilege. Very much. Like, this is should be his middle name. <laughs> White male privilege. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, you definitely have the time to hang around and mourn me. What are you, you're not starving or anything with a baby. And he's... He's all like, oh, woe is me. My daddy doesn't want me to be a playwright. I'm so poor. I'm like, no, you're not. You canoe of whatever. I don't like you. (laughs) All of this, he still has feelings for Theo as much as he hates her guts. So there's a lot of back and forth between them as he's haunting her estate. He ends up trying to sleep with her, kind of. Like, he thinks they're okay, and Theo is just so pissed off at him that she actually ends up dumping him out of the carriage (laughs) in front of her mother's brothel and he has to walk back. Which is great. I loved it. He's on the docks in the middle of, like, this desolate city, dressed up in finery, and all I can imagine is, like, people staring at him going, like, we should beat him up. We should mug him. I'm like, yeah, shiv him. Stick a knife in his ribs. He eventually kind of redeems himself, but it takes a long time. Also, who is kind of iffy, Jasper, his, Ewan's brother, he was the one who actually had answered Theo's advertisement because he needs a wife for his own kids. But he also has his own issues. He's a drunk. He's a drunk. Um, his kids are kind of wild. I'd say they're <laughs> wild in a fun way. They're very pranky. I like his kids. kids. were great. The kids were, like, just the best part of him. And it's funny because Ewan is the one who's actually writing the advertisements. So it's this yeah. funny catfish, actually. Yeah. But all this stuff happens. Yada, 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 yada. They eventually work things out. It takes a while. Meanwhile, Theo has decided that she doesn't want to marry him, even though he's finally like, oh, it wasn't your fault after all. I love you. Please marry me. Because rightfully so, she doesn't believe him and thinks that this is all just going to be an effort for his family. And don't blame her at all. So she decides (laughs) that rather than marry anybody and get a male protector, she is going to hire a lawyer and try to fight for custody that way. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that well. Yeah, because Lester sucks. And this is Regency England, and they're definitely not going to trust a woman over this capable male guardian, right? It's toxic masculinity on a stick. So he actually ends up convincing the courts that she's an unfit mother because her son was almost run over by a cart at a festival that um, Ewan had saved, by the way. He finally realizes this kid is his son, and he realized truly everything that went into play to get Theo to marry his cousin that she was desperate and starving and he was really like I'm just so sorry (laughs) parents realizes just his whole family aside from Jasper eventually is trash they have this really good scene where he saves Theo from getting beat up by Lester she's Mm -hmm. on her way to run away just totally out of the country she's gonna sell the estate to the to Ewan's family just get out of Dodge and Lester is like no you're not so 
fine. If anybody's going to get beat up, at least it's Lester. At least it's Ewan coming to save Theo and then confronting his family with her the next day to be like, number one, we're not selling Thornton. Number two, I am marrying Theo. She'll have me. Number three, this is our son. You don't get to see him. And I am taking her last name because the name means something to her. Which so he did actually, end on a good note. It, yeah, he got there eventually. It took a minute. So I I guess that's enjoyable. I do like a good groveling scene. And he really needed to grovel hard. But I just wish it was Matthew. Can I say that really quick? One of my favorite things about this book, I feel like a lot of authors will make like the side husband so to speak before she gets reunited with her actual love they usually end up being like impotent or gay or there's some kind of buffer mm. that keeps the woman from really falling in love with this extra guy matthew was really just a really great guy who wanted to genuinely help her like there was no kind of um side motivation he just saw a woman in need he felt like she was her family and she she and he fell genuinely in love and they had a really happy relationship it sounded like they would have mm. been very happy even with Ewan coming back I think if he hadn't died so I thought that was really cool of the author to have built that relationship up like that that it wasn't like oh well I'm gay this is my only chance of having a family which in itself right. is gross for authors to do yeah. sometimes yeah. but this really was like no way I'm gonna help Theo out because I, I like her I love her and <sighs> Matthew is the true hero Ewan yeah and I I will say like I was expecting pretty much the whole time for them to be like oh Matthew was gay yeah. he couldn't have children like he was his heart was broken and he just mm -hmm. married Theo to like have a wife but no there's a line where Theo actually says we were husband and wife in every sense of the mm -hmm. term oh. and I was like oh you have this great drag at Ewan where she's like you know I'm glad I did meet you again because now I wish I could have loved Matthew even more Ugh, yes it was a, I like threw the book and screamed because I was like oh get him Yes. yes 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 <laughs> yeah so even though it ended on a good note and the hero wasn't my favorite but i did enjoy this book yeah. i did and on that note of like them being husband and wife in every sense of the term we should say this is a quote-unquote clean romance i hate that which jen hates I, hate that but I just don't like the implication that a romance with sex or with more explicit things is dirty so i feel like clean is just i wish there was another word i get that it's useful but it's gross I'm going to no. cringe every time Jackie says it. All right, this is a vanilla romance. <laughs> um, it was a surprise, though. Like, I kept expecting there to be intimacy or, like, sex scenes. But mm. no. The only, like, we get the one kiss where she throws him out of the carriage. And I think there's a kiss at the end. But then I really loved, like, I loved the epilogue mm. where it's their wedding night. And Theo, like, rolls over and she's mm. like, okay, are you ready to, like do this and you and he says what no and he gives her the cold shoulder he's like this is my first wedding night can i not be virginal and shy i was like yes was gender funny. switch it yes that was funny she did have did a lot like of that. really fun things like that just these things yeah. from mm -hmm. and i don't know if i want to read the rest of the series but i do want to read her other series that just came out mm -hmm. um uh an earl a girl and a baby or something yeah. like that because mm -hmm. it's like two men and a baby and that one right. by the way a lot of these were missing from overdrive unfortunately bittersweet you can yeah. get on hoopla i don't know about the rest of her stuff but you can definitely get the the newest through the library yeah so they're fairly fun and of course they're super inclusive which we need more of in romance like we said at the start and not only is this great because of the fact that it's an inclusive romance and it's um, he's white and she's multiracial but also because of the fact that Theo is so strong throughout the whole book like she faces a lot of adversity a lot of prejudice she faces 
uh, Ewan's mom, who's just a complete Sucks. wench. Oh and she's she strong. She stands up for herself. Like, she, she also is really concerned about money, even mm. though she's rich. And I... It's funny. <laughs> you know how Jen and I are always like, they don't even care about their student loans. Bia no. <laughs> would care about her student loans. She knew the price of everything down to the penny. Yes. And her friends make fun of her. And she's like, uh-uh, listen, we're g- no, this is how much it costs. And I love it so <laughs> I much. Her friends, by the way, too. Oh, yeah. Her friends are good. But also, Theo is such a strong proponent of, like, women and workers' rights. Mm-hmm. I was just like, thank you. It was so because cool she, yeah, find somebody who had had a job and was very supportive of her state and of her other workers and was really concerned with uh, flower selling. Because I never, ever yeah. seen that in a heroine. Usually, if a heroine is business-minded at all, maybe she, like, sells books. Mm-hmm. She's a writer. Um mm-hmm. I one the I think the only book I've ever read Lisa Kleepass sorry she wrote a heroine that was really into designing board games so it's very mm. very rare I think for heroines that to be very business minded in a lot of these books and I think again that's part of because of the classism effect yeah, that we are it. reading mostly like upper class yeah. white and mm-hmm. this is we finally get like a quote unquote working woman who has made her way into the upper echelons but she worked her way up and I think this is where we can start saying that. We're seeing the change of society where this lower middle class was gaining wealth. I mean, she did it through marriage, which props to her. But a lot of other lower class, lower middle class were earning money through like the railroad industry, through trade. They came back from the war and they had money from the war, like that sort of stuff. Wine, like wine exports got huge during this time. So it's, I really did like that. I like that a lot. And on the note of Theo being so strong, there were a lot of racial slurs in this that I, as a reader, found hard to read. And so I'm white. I am a woman. Oh, I identify as a woman. I am I am basic white girl. Like, I need Starbucks right now. <laughs> but I can really appreciate someone like Riley, who is an author of color, writing these scenes from the perspective of someone who has no doubt faced prejudice in her own life. And she wrote a heroine who was facing prejudice, who was having racial slurs thrown at her. Even when she wasn't present in the room, they were like talking about her behind her back. Um, And I really think that Riley obviously did this on purpose. And I think she did it very well and very powerfully to make the reader like me, who's never experienced something like that, feel uncomfortable and to really put myself in the character's shoes And Riley did a really good job of not glorifying or, like, writing over scenes like this. And she made me feel for Theo and made me experience something that I personally have never experienced. So I am so thankful for that. Cool. Yeah. I liked the book overall. It was great. I don't – I actually do kind of want to read another one of this. Um, I'm really curious about her friend and the actor. Mm, The second one in the series. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll pick it up if I have nothing else to read. But right now, my TBR is way too long. <laughs> so uh, maybe I will pick it up down the line. Maybe we'll assign it for a book club if we ever get it. Or was this, like, your favorite out of all three that we read? Or is that still Simply Forbidden? <sighs> no, I think this was my favorite out of all three that we read. Are you going to be mad no. that Simply Forbidden was my least favorite? And actually, no. <laughs> No, I expected it, especially when you gave higher more stars than you gave Forbidden on Goodreads. <laughs> can't help it. I just, I don't, like it. I don't know. Hair at least was, I wanted to see what would happen. Forbidden, I had to yeah. myself. That's fair enough. And like I said, thinking back, I'm like, eh, Forbidden, I loved it at the time. But now again, I've read 
more and further and I'm thankful for what I learned from it like about sex clubs and all that sort of spicy things but um yeah I'm I'm not I don't know if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be honest none of these books were like my super favorite books we've ever read I was just kind of like meh they're good I like what they do I like what they talk about but I've read a lot more recently that I liked even more so that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any any final thoughts from you, Jen? I am really excited to see where Regency is going. I feel like with the success of Bridgerton, I think with all of these other authors coming up, like Courtney Milan and now Vanessa Riley and a lot of other authors, we don't even have time to list. We'll put them in the show notes. I, I'm really excited to see how they, they challenge what we expect from Regency and how they push the limits. Yeah. Because I've loved Regency forever, and I'm really excited to see how it's going to breathe new life into the genre. And it's kind of exciting to be in the middle of it reshifting, kind of. Just looking back at the foundation of where Fayer started and kind of seeing the little remnants of that and modern Regency. uh, It's kind of exciting to be in the middle and getting to think back, oh, in 10 years, I'll get to look back and be like, this is where we came from. And I don't know. We saw it happen. We saw it happen. I think that's one of the things I love most about Regency. It's this subgenre of romance that has somehow just continued and flourished on when others haven't. You know, like Mm -hmm. cowboys are kind of gone, medieval's gone, all these other weird little subgenres are gone, but Regency's moving strong and it just really feels very strong and powerful. And something like you said, we'll get to look back in 10 years and be like, oh, that's where we we started. Look at that. And especially with Bridgerton coming out. I mean, it's huge. And I think that Regency is only just going to grow in popularity from here. I've had so many new people who've never read romance come up to Mm -hmm. me and be like, I loved Bridgerton. Mm -hmm. I am obsessed with Simon. Can you please (laughs) recommend more books for me? And I'm like, girl, I got you. Or boy, I got you. (laughs) I need to give Bridgerton that much credit because it's, they kind of, continued on the work so many other authors have done it just happened yeah. that they had a huge massive platform like netflix and they could really get the show out they could get the word out i think they proved that it's really profitable to swing this yeah. way more than anything next up shondaland needs to do castles ever after series by tessa dare <laughs> or spindle cove please thank oh, you spindle cove would be good oh my god i love spindle mm-hmm. cove if we're gonna just go on a uh, kick spindle cove yeah yeah just spindle cove just mm-hmm. do it binge it um yeah, so that brings us to an end of our Regency discussion, Jen. But it brings us to a really exciting announcement, Jackie! Can I get a drum roll, please? Ladies and gentlemen, Raging Romantics is proud to announce that on Friday, May 7th, that was a very that was a very sad drum roll, but that's okay. Really going, on, going the whole time? No, you're okay. You can stop now. <laughs> <laughs> you not hear it. On <laughs> Friday... On Friday, May 7th, Raging Romantics will be airing an exclusive interview with best-selling author, the one, the only, Lissa K. Adams. Yeah! <laughs> it's so exciting! I'm so excited. It's all Jackie's fault. <laughs> a little baby podcast and we're going to talk to a really cool person. 
<laughs> yeah. So if you're not familiar with her, Lissa is the author of the Bromance Book Club series, which is an amazing contemporary romance series featuring okay. really hysterical heroes who run a romance book club so that they can understand relationships and women better. And it's nowhere near as cringy as sounding or it's nowhere near as cringy as that sounds. I promise. It I is not that cringy. The way you put beautiful. it. Beautiful. And okay, good. I will say Jackie successfully flirted with me with some of her tips. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yes. So book. <laughs> book four, Isn't It Bromantic, is set to be released this July. So we are so lucky to be able to sit down and talk about all things bromantic and about this new release in the series with Lissa. And we are just, we are so excited <laughs> and we have so many questions we want to ask her, but obviously you guys are readers too and you guys are probably burning to know some things. So if you have any questions, you want to have us like ask her anything specifically, you want to talk about certain topics or like favorite books or anything like that, let us know. Um, give us a shout by April 20th or thereabouts because we need time to actually <laughs> write it down. <laughs> um, give us an email at ragingromantics at gmail.com and we will definitely include them in our interview and you guys can have a discussion with Lissa. <gasps> and also on that note, if you want to see Jen's face and if you want to see Lissa's face. I don't know why you would. Um, this is much more important, but fine. Yeah. There. We will be featuring an author talk, um, which is open and free to the public on April 21st at 7 p.m. It's going to be online. It is free to, for everybody who wants to join, and you will also be able to ask her questions in real time then. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure to put details in the show notes so that you guys know how to log on, how to get there, what time to get there, all that sort of stuff. You can also visit nopal.org, nopl.org, mm-hmm. and our events page there for more information. But, oh, one last thing about this. I mean, there's so many things. It's just so exciting. Um, We're going to be conducting an exclusive, exciting giveaway of signed copies. So make sure to tune in to, like, our next couple of episodes and check online at NLPL.org for more information on how to get in on that contest. It's going to be really exciting. We are screaming, guys. Yes. We're trying so hard to be cool, and we're not cool people. (laughs) Like, it's going to be severe fangirling. I'm just going to warn you now. (laughs) I don't know if I will make any coherent sense. (laughs) We will. I'll make you. Okay, thanks. Um, uh, On on a less exciting note, but still just as fun, what are we talking about next month, Jen? I actually forget. What are we doing? (laughs) It's your month, so. I was kidding. (laughs) I don't know. We are going to get a little dark in Uh, the podcast guys after yeah get a blanket get some i need a coffee (laughs) get your coffee get a blanket get some hug we are gonna be diving a little deeply into dark romance Uh, i'm scared you should be okay (laughs) yeah so next month and if you (laughs) jen's in charge of this next month so it's gonna be extra interesting Oh, also, if you're new here, we air two episodes per month on the first and third Friday of the month, and you can get those on all your podcast distributors, especially like Apple, Spotify, our website, all that sort of fun stuff. Um, But Dark Romance Part 1 with Jen leading the way, I'm terrified. (laughs) Don't worry. I'll take your hand, lead you in nice and gentle. That's the blind leading the blind right there. Hey! (laughs) 
Oh, but that is it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're as excited about Lissa as we are. And I hope that you learned some more stuff about Regency Romance today. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Rage on! (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye, guys.